When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. on, microphone here, voice sounding like me, it is me, I'm back, it is the Chels with me, and me, and me, and oh, actually, there's a couple of people here as well, there's only Mr. Andy Saunders, Andy, I'm back, how are you? I'm alright, I feel usurped, I feel usurped that you're back, I was enjoying the power that I had running the <laughs> podcast, but no, nice to have you back mate, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's, it's been a strange old summer, that's for sure. Um, you know, there's been a lot of transfer business going on, including part of my body. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they've transferred a new aortic valve into me. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm breathing well. I'm climbing hills. You know, yeah, it's, it's all good. And um, yeah, just before I forget, I just want to get this out of the way. I would just like to say thank you to everyone that sent me messages of support and positivity. They really kept my spirits up and helped me through the whole experience. Honestly, I can't tell you what it meant sitting in that hospital day after day and seeing those lovely, wonderful messages. So thank you all. It's much appreciated. It's great to be back and talking Chelsea nonsense. (laughs) And Andy, we have another guest with us today. It's none other than the historian of Chelsea Football Club himself, Mr Rick Glanville. Lovely to see you back, Kerry. And I say oh. see you because obviously we're on Zoom. Yeah, we're on Zoom. I don't know whether the rest of the world will ever get to see this. Where are you? <laughs> are, you are you in your house? Are you Who, talking? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't normally see you. Is that is that where you normally do it from? That's always where I do it from. Oh, OK. Interesting. Yeah, this is- this is it. Why? Any of the art on the back is for sale. Furniture. <laughs> Furniture, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't matter. You know, I've got to raise a few quid. I didn't realise you had such that. a phallic microphone. Oh, OK. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you see it like this. This is taint. Andy, you need to see doctor. Do you think that's phallic? <laughs> yes. You know, it's the right it? way around, though, hopefully. <laughs> Yes, well, of course, uh, that that steals my thunder because I was going to wind you up just to let everyone know. We were going to record this much, much earlier, but we had an audio problem. We couldn't work it out until, luckily, Leon, our engineer, who's mightily clever, worked out that Andy's microphone was back to front. Oh, anyway, we're here. (laughs) How are you? How have you been, Rick? I've I've been okay. I I was laid low by COVID earlier, a couple of months ago. Um, missed a couple of Chelsea games, which was frustrating. And it is a horrible thing. I've had two vaccinations and the two nights were absolutely horrendous. Fever dreams, aches and pains. Uh, I'm, I have... Um... That was the Brentford game. How was the COVID? <laughs> yeah, it was the last 10 minutes of the Brentford game. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone... 
please get your vaccinations when they're offered and please have a flu jab when they're offered as well. Mm. Well, I'm glad you, you haven't got the long COVID thing. You're recovered now, are you? Yeah, I've got, funnily enough, I think it's a vicious, um, sneaky disease because I think it seeks out weaknesses. Uh, and I, I've found that I have pains in my joints like ankles and wrists that I haven't had before. And I don't know whether it's COVID related or I'm just hyper aware. But I do think it finds problems and kind of works away at them. So hopefully it's not a long term thing, but it's been like six weeks, a month, something like that. Six weeks, I think. Oh, and, uh, hear that. Yeah, I think I think there is a certain I don't think we know all the implications of having it no. from person to person anyway. But do we dare ask that question about what we think about whether footballers should be double vaccinated or not? Is this a conversation we should be having? I don't know whether you've had it in previous weeks. Um, Shouldn't I'm finding they, they should, everyone should have it. Yeah, I, I'm finding it mightily strange that footballers who are being made uh, an awful lot of allowances for are still running around unvaccinated on principle and what have you. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think I agree with this. No. And, and I wish more people would stand up for it. I know we're in a, a, a moment of time where COVID is almost being ignored, even though we've got some of the highest rates in, yeah. around at the moment. Certainly we, in we, Europe, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Have you got a thought on this? Well, playing devil's advocate if I may for a minute, and it is just devil's advocate, the idea of forcing people to take a vaccine, you know, making people take a vaccine, I'm not sure that sits well with me. I do think that they have a moral obligation to take it. I think they should take it. And I think more to protect others than themselves. Um, And particularly if they're operating within a bubble. Um, I think if you're going to be in a bubble, you need to respect the group and respect the kind of the 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 sort of communal effort but the kind of forcing of people to take vaccines if they're not in a you know in in a particular situation working with vulnerable people or whatever i don't know and you know it doesn't doesn't necessarily sit well with me i know what you're saying rick everybody should have it of course they should um but can we make them have it i'm not sure no, I, I think I'd agree with that. Um, I don't believe in forcing anyone to do anything on, along these lines. I just think possibly there's a moral obligation. That's, it is, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, There's a moral know. imperative here. And lots of people, I, d- I don't know how well-informed people are, because I've had plenty of arguments with people who shouting, do your research at me, who clearly haven't done their own research. The problem with research is... It's a bit like people saying, look at the science. There's no such thing as the science. <laughs> you know, there is science. There's different, you know, sort of researches. There's different, um, there's different scientific reports. There's no, there's no singular entity called science. I had a big argument on the train with somebody. It's too boring to go into, but they shouted that at me, do your research. And the problem, is, the problem yeah. with, with this idea of research is that it's just confirmation bias. Of course we can, it is. We can YouTube. all go and find research that backs up what we think or what we want to think. Mm-hmm. We can all do that. So it's a mm-hmm. meaningless thing to say to someone. You know, I can go and look at the you know, Food and Drug Administration, the Centre for Disease Control, the World Health Organisation. Somebody could go and look at you know, some other you know, dark corner of the internet and find some mad person who's written a report you know it's you know in my opinion so you know there's no such thing as do your research or look at the science it doesn't make any sense so um my only thing is that you know, I, I do think that you know the, the the thing about having having the vaccine was slightly off topic here, um, particularly where footballers are concerned, is is to protect everybody else that they're playing with, and you don't know if somebody else has a vulnerability. You know, God, Lord knows we've seen people fall over on football pitches with terrible heart problems they never knew they had, um, you know, or, or or illnesses that they never knew they had. You know, and, and being that's, in why that close moral, proximity, that's why it's a moral obligation. Yeah. I think it's I think mm. it is a moral obligation. It's this idea of you know of, of of making people take it, which I think is probably a step too far. That That's the issue. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. And and I think always this whole period, and this is the last matter, and then we'll get on to other serious matters, but I do think this has always all been about what you do to other people, not about you yourself. Yeah, the community. What it did is. you think about Mason Mount coming out and going, oh, now I think I should have it because I missed two England games? Did you think that... I mean, everybody's going, well, well done, Mason. Uh, part of me thought, well, why didn't you have it in the first place? 
Well, this this is an, an interesting point. It's something I talk to the nurses about in hospital quite a lot because, of course, they've had to deal with it a lot and COVID restrictions and regulations are still in place there. And they said that they found the majority of people now who come into hospital for treatment, who are hospitalised, are all unvaccinated and all begging for the vaccine. And they say, I'm sorry, it's too late. You've got it now. You have to ride this out and get through this. But also they say that with the younger generation, you have to bribe them. You have to say, well, here's the payback for you having that. You can't do this or you can do that or this will make this happen. We, maybe we live in a selfish society and it is all about I and we have to find a way to appeal to the ego, to appeal to the I and everybody to make them do things. Does it matter? I, I don't think so. I think potentially the more people that have the vaccination, the safer things will become. That That's, that's what we are seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having been in hospital and had my operation delayed a few times because of COVID, I totally understand what the situation is. I also understand the implications of what happens if you end up with COVID and it's not good for you. It's not a good place to be. And they all say, and there were nurses I spoke to who said they were dealing at the height with 38 to 40 deaths a day and having to be those people's last person on earth that they spoke to. And that just makes you go, okay, this is a really different side of the coin than other people think, oh, it's all an inconvenience. Yeah, it is. But for those people who end up in a dreadful situation, it's way more than that. So, so Rick, do you feel comfortable going to Stamford Bridge at the moment? Yeah, I do. You know, because um, nobody's wearing a mask. Nobody, everybody's travelling. I feel worse actually going in. Than, once I'm in there, I'm like, I feel OK. It's do you the, travel on public transport? Do you do yeah, all that? Yeah, yeah. I went to I went to Stanford Bridge today to do some filming, and uh, I tend not to use the tubes. I use overground when I can and buses. Um, because I, I, I do, I think probably even though, as we're saying, that the the rates are still high, forty five thousand, and you know, hundreds of deaths still so regularly, and it's so horrific. Uh, but I suppose I do feel. Now I've I've had it once and I got over it and I've had the, the vaccine and I don't I'm cautious I don't think I'm giving it to people I'm doing everything to stop it so I'm uh, I just take the usual precautions I should well, I, that's I, suppose I would that, say. that's what anybody can do isn't it really yeah. Right, well, look, we probably should move on to football. I think we've digressed. We're sorry about that. For all those people who go, oh, you're back, and you just talk nonsense as usual. You're going to lose um, loads of, you're going to lose loads of uh, listeners now because of the anti-vaxxers in our audience. You know that, don't you? And, uh... Well, that's good. Bye-bye. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Brentford. Well, there we go. This, this was one of those uh, games, wasn't it, that you looked at in the calendar, everyone's saying... After Man City or Chelsea got quite a straightforward run, and he thought, Brentford away, Mm, (laughs) hold on. It starts to get easier. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and he thought, I don't know, there's something about that club at this moment in time, it's not going to be straightforward. So there was a a little air of trepidation, shall we say, um, going into that game. What did you think, Rick? Did you go to the game? No, I couldn't get a ticket, unfortunately. I, getting I a ticket was, what? Know, was a nightmare, wasn't it? Yeah, I hardly know but anyone. But doesn't a historian there. just get... What happens if something historical happens and you're not <laughs> there for it? You know what? At least it was televised. And that's one of the big adjustments this year, isn't it? That not every match is televised. So you're sort of... You know, you're away matches at three o'clock and you're thinking, uh, well, hold on a minute. You mean I don't have the privilege of watching my team? Uh, um, but, um, you know, I think I thought it was when I was there was a lot of hype about Brentford and how well they were doing. But when you look at the cold facts, they've only won once at home this season now out of four matches. Yes, they drew with Liverpool and they put them, they got the medieval siege weaponry out against them as well. So I thought that's how they would go. But um, they're better away. And I do think that they are, I, I think there are a couple of injuries away from really struggling. I've got to say, I'm sorry about that, Bees fans. And, um, but I thought they played really well against us for uh, uh, for about 
80 minutes, even though we were controlling the game. I thought they, they were really well organised. But I anticipated that, them launching it in the last 15, 20 minutes. And it was like Wimbledon in the 1980s, frankly. Um, yeah, but it kind of, it, they had that... Long throws, you know. And But they had something extra about them. I mean, we'll get on to that in a minute. I mean, Andy, we... we <laughs> the side, I'd also like to talk about this, about Tuchel, is there was a point last season where you could... St- start predicting the side that Tuchel was going to yeah. pick. This season, it's become really difficult, hasn't it, Andy? It has. I mean, you know, let, let, you know let's not I forget... I mean, there were extenuating Yeah, well, search. let's not forget this was an international week. We had players away. We had pit players having to isolate, coming back from South America. We had some injuries. Um, so he was under the cosh a little bit and trying to use his resources as best as possible. Uh, Rhys James clearly wasn't wasn't able to do 90 minutes, which, you know, threw a bit of a spanner in the works. He had to, to move the jigsaw pieces around. And we ended up with, particularly with a very young, very inexperienced, apart from maybe Christensen, um, back three. But certainly players either side of them, Chalibur and Saar, um, it would not necessarily be first choice centre backs, Christensen probably would. So that was um you know that was that was already an interesting move. Um as Piliqueta and uh, and Chilwell at full back. I mean there is an argument that you could have put Aspi in the uh centre back mm. position and put uh Hudson right. Adoy in. Yeah, yeah. Um but he clearly doesn't he doesn't trust him enough, I don't think, in those situations, which is, you know, another conversation. Um, really good to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, in the middle, um, continuing his good form. I thought he played very well. Uh, Kante and Kovacic as well. And then Werner and Lukaku up front, I thought, was was what I expected him to do. So, yeah, it was really a story of that back three, wasn't it, Rick? Didn't you not think? Yeah, and I think it's interesting. You point out it being after the international break. And, in fact, um, what Thomas has done after the last two matches, uh, previous two matches, sorry, before, uh, after the international break, is that he has made an experimental selection that he's gone back on. So if you think Niguez was one and he took him off quickly um, and uh, Kante, when he brought him back against Tottenham and took him off early as well, they were gambles that he took because of the late uh, return of personnel and uh, injuries and and the like, but this one with Saar worked, and I thought he was absolutely excellent in his league debut. I thought, did you? I well, I mean, that's a very different take from me. I, I thought he, was, I thought he was excellent. I thought he. And Why I, did you think he was? What did you think was excellent about him? his positional sense? How he, how he kept the, you know. He's 22 years old, and this is his Premier League debut. And he came in and he's asked to play alongside, as you said, two inexperienced uh, defenders. I mean, Chalabar plays like a, a Don anyway, so, I, you know, he doesn't matter how old he is. And I thought uh, Andreas was was very good as well. The reason I, I thought Saar was excellent was partly because I thought he wouldn't be, perhaps, because he hasn't had the experience. And watching him recently, he's he's given the ball away sometimes and not controlled it. But I thought all of those elements and his positioning, he was absolutely spot on. And Tony, I don't know if you noticed, Tony went from one to the other to try and get some change out of them. And he and he couldn't initially. It's just in that last bit where it all became a little bit panicky, where we should have been calm and playing it out from the back rather than kind of hoofing it so that they could knock it back in. Um, I think that I'm ignoring that that, that, part, that part of it when cooler heads and more experienced heads would have been helpful. Right. Can I can I just come back on that though? Because I, I think it's an important point, you know, to to to, to give a sort of different view of that. I thought Saar was good. I didn't think he was excellent. I thought that he looked raw. I thought he was pretty hopeless in the air, to be honest. I thought he got done in the air, and I think a lot of that's to do with his height. And I think the, a lot of that last 15 minutes, 20 minutes, was down to his inability to clear the ball. I thought he looked panicky in the box. I thought his positional sense wasn't great. I thought I thought he, he was okay, and I thought he was good. He's not, a, he's, not, he's not a little kid out of the academy. He's played 100 
games in Liga in France. You know, he's 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 played a decent amount of football, not at Premier League level. You're absolutely right. Christensen is experienced. I mean, I think you have to you have to say he has had a, a fair amount of experience, probably more in in recent times. Chalobah also has played a lot of games. Um, they shouldn't be viewed as callow you straight off the the training pitches at, at Cobham. Um, I I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect Saar to be anywhere near first pick for the foreseeable future. I did, I, I thought he was good. I don't think he was excellent. Uh, okay, well, look, I, I, I would say that what this was, even though he's played a hundred games in in the French league, he will never have played a fifteen-minute period like that in his life. They, they just don't play like that in France. So, I think what will happen? Look. Sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, all that kind of stuff. What I thought was interesting was I I would agree with Rick that I thought it was excellent considering his circumstances. And I think there was a period, there was one fly hack away where he air kicked the ball. And that was the moment where he could have absolutely crumbled. But actually from that moment, he got better and he started trying to get back into the challenges, and it almost cleared his head, having done something so poor, which (laughs) as a Premier League player, you can't air-kick the ball in your own penalty area without everyone going, oh, no, that was pretty awful. So I'd agree with you, Andy. I think we won't see a huge amount of him, but I think he will learn a lot. I think Tuchel said it afterwards, everything was pretty good for 70 minutes, but that last 20 minutes we're going to have to analyse and look at because he did crumble, but he didn't break. No, that's and true. And I think that's, that's, that's true. And Rick, you've, you've mentioned it before, and we've had a discussion on here before about Mourinho's height analysis back, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I think, I think you know, we, we would kind of almost sneer at it in, in the past. But if you looked at Chilwell and you looked at... Uh, and you Chilwell's looked at very Sun, good in the air. He's very good, but very he's not. Good. He's not six foot tall, and no. and 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 neither is and neither is Saar. And so there was a deliberate cross field um, switch from Brentford to get the ball into that area, and it worked because neither of them could deal with the with the height of the opposition players. Actually, if you look at it again, I've watched the match again, and it's interesting how they actually targeted Aspie because they knew that if they pushed us back. They would get five people. Well, going down that side, but again, well, I pick you up on that because if you look at some of the saves that Mendy was making, the ball had gone over Sar's head to the, you know, to to the um, to the attacking player, whether it was Tony or whether it was someone else, and that's where the problems were coming from. It was a lack of height at the back that did us. What's interesting is Sar isn't actually that small. No, he's less than six foot, Kerry. That's small for a second. No, he's not. He's six foot. Well, he's he's actually five foot, 11 and a half inches. That's not what it says here on the (laughs) official page. No, it says 182. Well, the instant. We're looking at. We're looking at. It's been 184 before you know it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's growing in stature. The thing about. I agree with you about Mourinho. As I always say, he's a. He um, selects by the yard. You know, he always if he, he always plays his tallest players. Don't forget, we did have a lot of tall players on the pitch elsewhere. We had Ruben Loftus Cheek, for example, was much taller than Jorginho, and I think that's where uh, there would have been a, a trade-off there. And by the way, I thought Ruby was excellent for sixty-five minutes. He was. He was excellent. And well, they... Okay. Can I, can I just say that one thing about uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek? He was an absolute king for the majority of that game, especially the first half. Second half was different, but the moment they put Marcus Force on, it changed the game because they man-marked him and he spent the rest of the time diving in, trying to win the ball, and it changed the whole shape of the game. That substitution changed everything and it stopped him being the king. What What I would say is that Ruben is showing that he seems to, at this moment in time, be able to at least stick in a game for 90 minutes, which is the most important thing after the checkered past that he's had with injuries and what have you. And we've always doubted his ability to Stamina, last the course. Yeah. Uh, I did think that he was showing signs of tiredness before the, that, uh, uh, that substitution. That was just really to pin him back, wasn't it? Because he was... There was that sublime turn he did where he took out two or three players just with a, with a trick that he's perfectly capable. And I, I was watching the game and thinking, you know what? I wonder. It was interesting to play him there and to have Ungolo playing wider on the right and 
cover wider on the left. And I think there were structural reasons for that. I think he was worried about the fullbacks and he wanted legs to to track back there. And he wanted, um, uh, I think he he wanted Ruby like a like Rubinho. He wanted him like a a taller Jorginho, a playmaker, someone who can play the diagonals, work the lines, but also break through the lines, which is what we did very successfully, I thought, for for an hour. So I think it's interesting that he chose to play him there in a holding role, which is not something that Ruben's done very much in his career. Well, I thought I thought Ruben Loftus Cheek was 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 excellent for for you know as you say for for seventy minutes. I mean, really excellent. I thought I thought he he looked exactly the kind of player that we hoped he would become, and I think it bodes really well moving forward. I did think we missed Jorginho uh, in the last twenty minutes or so. I think we needed some calm and some efficiency and some a foot on the ball and some control in that midfield. And I think Jorginho might have given it to us. So I was surprised that he didn't come on. I just want to go back to Saar briefly. I'm not down on him. I'm not. You know, I mean, I'm not down on any young player I'm just questioning this idea that he was excellent if if either of those chances that hit the post had gone in and if Mendy hadn't have been on superhuman form and we'd have lost that game by two goals or three goals I don't think people would be being so kind hey what about Trevor uh goal saving intelligence where he cleared it off the line I thought that amazing. was amazing yeah brilliant incredible. I, I, I'm just saying if we if we all I'm all I'm saying is that if we'd lost that game particularly if we'd lost it by more than one goal People would be looking at that back three and wouldn't be being so kind about the debut performance no, of Malangsar. Yeah. That's all I'm saying, you know. But I'm not down on him. I hope he goes on and 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 proves me wrong. I've been proved wrong many, many times in the past. Yes, he has. I just don't. I just want to question <laughs> that idea that he was excellent. I don't think I thought he was good. That that's all. So that's that's all. Going on the positive though, Ruben Loftus Cheek, brilliant. You know, the questions have always been about his stamina. Um, I think that he showed real drive, real the ability to pick that ball up and run with it. We've kind of missed that a little bit. Um, and I think the you know that's a that's a really positive sign moving forward. Kovacic, not so sure about Kovacic in the last couple of games. His pa- his passing radar seems to have gone a little bit, hasn't it? Can I can I just say something about Kovacic and one quick thing about the defence? I think what I would say is I thought Christensen had a great game considering that how he was flanked. I thought Saar shows promise. And got through it. Yeah, that's the important we'll thing. He got through it, definitely, yeah. And I would say that Chalabar shows that I think when he's with the right people, he's got something about him. And actually, definitely. he could end up definitely. being a long-term option in our defence. If that had been Thiago Silva, who dropped back when he saw what was happening to clear off the line, people say, there's the experience of Thiago Silva. How old is Trevor? You know, 22 or whatever. This is where you see that this is that's intuitive, that's instinctive what he did then. You know, you you can try and coach that into players, but unless you're an Ashley Cole or a John Terry or a Thiago Silva, um, lots of defenders don't have that mission critical, that determination that, and reading of the game. He and made as like you a say, lot of ground to get it, there as well, he did, did you see? He Whatever. anticipated, it was in, in, incredible anticipation. Mm. And I thought that was one of my favourite moments of the whole mm. game. If Trevor Chalabur starts a Premier League game, I'm not going to be worried. I think I think he's oven ready. I think he's he's capable of playing at this level. <laughs> if Saar Saar <laughs> starts a Premier League game, I'd be slightly concerned because yeah. I don't think he's quite ready. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Andy, and I think that's the point. He got through it, and I think he'll learn from it. They'll work on things. I mean, I look at. Okay, the other thing, there's something I want to talk about in midfield about Loftus-Cheek and Kovacic, which we'll get onto in a minute. But the defence. So the one thing I would say is I think our coaching staff are doing an incredible job. We've always had... Edward Mendy has been sort of an enigma for a lot of people. They go, well, he hasn't had that much to do, but he's done an awful lot that's good. And he's also shown to improve a lot. His The work with the ball at his feet is better than it's been mm-hmm. ever. Um, he certainly seems to be coming out in a slightly different way. Yeah. He spreads himself bigger. He's, they, I think our coaching staff are very good at working out what's wrong with players or what could be improved. Yeah. And I expect them to go and do Definitely. the same thing with Saar. I think you'll see Saar in some cup games. We were hamstrung this weekend. He had to play. But I think they'll work on him, and I think the promise is there for Saar. 
What I want to just mention before we get on to the midfield is Edward Mendy. There was an article in one of the online um, uh, papers or whatever about Edward Mendy being a decent keeper. Well, actually, <laughs> I think he's potentially a great keeper if he's not already a great keeper. He's just improved so exponentially. Who's better in the world than Edward Mendy right now? How has Edward Mendy not been nominated for the Ballon d'Or? I mean, it doesn't <laughs> make any sense. You know, when Donnarumma... Has yeah, and yeah. he hasn't. It's ridiculous. Now yeah, Donnarumma like, was a decent keeper. What's he achieved agree, this season that Edward Mendy hasn't? You wanted Donnarumma over Mendy, if I remember rightly, Andy. Well, I think any anybody looking at the goalkeepers that were available, you know, at the time, would have taken Donnarumma. I think we're all surprised about how well uh, Mendy has done and delighted. But you know, and he's proved himself on, on the highest stages to be a world-class goalkeeper. The fact that he hasn't been nominated for the Ballon d'Or, I think, is a disgrace and just shows the, you know, the, the ludicrousness of that selection. And he knows when to eat up time and go down yes. with little injuries and things. He's got really good at that. One thing I didn't realise he was is he's a leader. He's a real leader at the back, you know, the way he grabs players and puts them in position. And I think he's become that, them. Andy. Yeah, that's what I mean. I didn't I didn't realise he was. And, and, and so, you know, over the last, you know, well, certainly this season, I think his leadership qualities have come to the fore, haven't they? Can I just say two things about him? One, he was wearing the, the famous Petr Cech flaring orange. You know, Czech uh, used to say that distracted strikers, <laughs> and they, all they see is that blob of orange and they shoot at it. And actually that worked <laughs> against Brentford. And um, secondly, they had two shots in the first half and 15 in the second. Um, and not all, obviously not all of them were on, were on target. But actually that's something like that. That's the second most we faced. The most we faced, and, he, and Edu didn't get as much credit, was Liverpool. 23 shots in that game that, that he faced. And th- he didn't, for some reason, um, maybe because it's lovely little Brentford and everyone loves them and, you know, they, they wanted them to win and score and all this sort of stuff. Maybe there's more emphasis uh, on that, but he has been brilliant for in many games for us this season. Yeah, seven shots on target, Brentford her to our one. No, he, look, he's proven himself, and and we all love him dearly. And he's kind of one of those signings that I always talk about, Andy, isn't he? That the people you don't really know, and they suddenly have turned into this player. And you go, oh, my God, and he just feels so Chelsea now. <laughs> yeah, he does, um, doesn't he? He but, does. But, yeah, and, you know, he's he's got that kind of that cult that cult figure vibe about him, isn't he? That um, that he, he looks like a character. He's, you know, putting in big performances in games. Um, I just think he's wonderful. And I think that all great teams start start with a great goalkeeper. And, you know, it's, it's you know, whether you look at Peter Cech or Peter Bonetti or, you know, whoever, our, or, you know, keepers that we've had in the past, you know, a, a great... <laughs> any of those you know great goalkeepers you know they are the the foundation stone of of a team and i'm really pleased that we've got one of the best and he's going to be yeah, agree with the africa cup of nations that's the worry well yeah well africa cup of nations south american world cup qualifiers i mean you know we're all it's it's the strange times that we live in at the moment yeah everyone's at it everyone's got problems but all right i want to move into midfield and the question that i've got I think you're right, Andy. I think Jorginho would normally be in this midfield. And for me at this moment in time, it would be Jorginho, Ruben, and um, I would have Kante, the three of them. My point being, I'm not sure that Ruben and Kovacic work well together because Kovacic likes to go on his little fancy dribbles. But so does Ruben. And I think Ruben does them better. And I think... It's kind of, the, I think he nullifies what Kovacic does when he's not in the team, if you see what I mean. I'd just be curious to see what you think about, do they work together or is Ruben a better version of him going forward? I, I think they're different and I think they bring different energies to the team. I think Kovacic brings that buzzing, tempo-setting energy to the team, that kinetic energy where he's you know moving around the midfield, getting involved picking the ball up and starting things. Loftus Sheep Ruben is is more Essien like I think and he picks up the ball and drives with it. Um it's it's different. Um is it complementary? I don't know. Maybe too early to tell. I'd like to see them play a little bit more together. Um I know what you're saying. It it 
seemed to jar a little bit on Saturday. Um, I, I'm hopeful that those two energies can be can be blended. I'm more in Kerry's camp. I think there is an element of duplication, but we have to be aware that it is a facet of our play that Thomas wants to have that we break between the lines because teams set up blocks against us, you know, two banks of four, and we need to get through the first, uh, or they're pressing us, we need to get through that. And that's what Ruben does uh, very well. It's also what Cover can do. Cover is more of a touch player, isn't he? He's a little bit more of a a tippy-tappy player, but he does have that ability to uh, beat two or three players in one of the runs. My concern with more with Cover than Ruben is the choice that he makes with his final pass and the, the actual uh, delivery of it, which I think is, is quite awry. And I think we may want to talk about this, the two up front, they're not clicking because the delivery to them isn't good enough. It's not quick enough. It's not accurate enough. And it's not it's not in the area that they, uh, that they want it. And I think that was shown a lot uh, down the left, I would have Mason Mount there myself on the yeah. on the, the left is, uh, uh, passing radar is is well off at the moment. I mean. I- Look, I would say that the one thing, if you look at Loftus-Cheek and you look at Kovacic side by side, the one that's probably going to get you more goals is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know, and we miss that from midfield is that mm. 10, 12 goals a the season numbers. from midfield. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that, you know, given given opportunities, Loftus-Cheek is going to find himself in more uh, dangerous positions than Kovacic and, and probably be able to do more with the ball as you talk about his final product. So are we saying then, OK, if we're saying Ruben... At the moment, if he stays fit, is a shoe in in this side. I don't think you can say a shoe in, but I think you can say he should be a regular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, I'm being a bit overt about if, it. If a team is going to play a low block against you, if it's you know if it's, if they're going to put you know uh, ten men behind the ball, you'll probably want someone like Kovacic's energy. You know, moving around, just just moving, pass and go, pass and go. Um, try and try and move them out of position. If you've got a team that are going to press you, probably want Loftus Cheek. That would okay, be my argument. So. If Loftus Cheek plays, does that not mean that potentially the last place up for grabs is now between Jorginho and Mason Mount? Not for the position, but if Loftus Cheek plays and Kante plays, mm-hmm. there's only one space. It looks as though Tuchel might want to play this two up front because Werner, yes, his shooting boots may not be correct, but crikey, Dunaf caused damage and caused confusion amongst defences. Which means, how do you fit Mason Mount into this shape that we're seeing we play against Brentford? I, I would think that Mason Mount is quite an integral part of this team. Um, and it sets up a very interesting question. It's after the internationals, and Mason had played a lot, and he has, he's got a lot of football in his legs for months now. And so I think they are trying to eke at the, the minutes out, spare minutes out of the rest, sorry, for him out a bit. Um, and also, he hasn't been at his best in the performances that he's made up to now. So I think there's that element as well that you know there's, an, there's a reason that he the two reasons he's he having could a pop at Mason Mount now. He's having a <laughs> but, <laughs> but lost us against... more listeners now. <laughs> but I thought um, he had started to play. Uh, what was his last performance with Southampton? I think I thought he was really good in that, and he looked back to the impish best. That hasn't quite been there, so I would definitely have him have him play there. And I do think the thing about that you get with Mason is that he's the glue between all of the different departments in the team, and I think he links them so well. And I, what we don't have at the moment is uh, partnerships with Romelu Lukaku, and I don't mean necessarily playing alongside him. I personally prefer three up front rather than than two anyway um and uh but i mean the link play the passing the finding the runs the understanding what romelu needs in order to get the goals i think you're right about the glue and i i I would add to that i think there's there's two players that provide glue i think Jorginho is the glue between Mm, the from between the defense and the midfield in terms of breaking the press and the transition and i think the glue between the midfield and the strikers is mason mount and I think those two players are, are, are absolutely pivotal in 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 how we play. It's just how we accommodate them in a way that allows the other players.
players to do what they're really good at as well. If you look at that team, you know, it's particularly, you know, that five across midfield, Aspilicueta, Kante, Loftus-Cheek, Kovacic, Chilwell, there's no real magic there. Do you know what I mean? There's no real creative magic. I mean, they're all creative players in their own way. But there's not a Pulisic or you know or a or a you know or a or a Hazard that type of player that's going to just do the unexpected a little bit. It's all a bit. It's all a bit. Um, the throw Ruben Rubinho in, and you've got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean that's my point. Is that Loftus Cheek? He set up this precedent. I think Loftus Cheek can deliver the ball from deep and give it to Mason. Yeah, he's got, and Mason can then be inventive. He's ambitious. But that would mean that Jorginho ends up sitting it out. It's quite interesting because it changes the fundamental shape and the fundamental way we've been playing for the last year and a half because it does mean something has to change, something has to give somewhere. And we've got players that seemingly, on paper, on their day, are essential parts of the Chelsea team. And to get them in, something has to give. And Loftus-Cheek has created this issue, personally. Look, how long he stays fit and, and yeah. well and healthy for, yeah. that's the big question. But that will be the season, I think, that people will have to... Well, there will be, like, uh, people coming in and going out, and we just need them to do well when they do it. That was the main reason why I was so pleased with Saar, because he won't play a huge role necessarily this season, but he came in and he was up to the standard that, that was required, and that's what we need from... We need the whole squad to contribute. And I, I don't think we'll, it'll be set in stone. We're talking about people that are, sh- you know, that are guaranteed a place. Who is really? You know, it's when we've got such a, um, a talented and at the moment mostly on form squad that you look at it and you think, oh, it wasn't what I would pick, but it's a really good team, you know, and that can do the well, job. The only thing I would say is that against Brentford, I thought we were hugely unconvincing, you know, in, in, in certain areas of the game. And and so it's not quite right, is it? We do need some creative flair. We do need to bring the strikers into the game more, create opportunities for them more. We have a, a situation where we've got a hundred million euro striker who's not getting any service. I mean, well, it doesn't take a rocket science to, to, to do that. The service wasn't there. On, on... It wasn't, you know, and whether that's because Kovacic can't find his passing range or because Loftus-Cheek just wasn't, you know, delivering with the final ball or Kante wasn't getting it I don't know or 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 Lukaku's runs were too predictable I don't know I think you know it may be a little bit of all of that you know but well let's talk about that partnership though Andy the, of you know whether there is one uh Werner and Lukaku um does there seem is there chemistry there I don't see it at the moment. I think Gwena's quite accepting of playing a support role. I, I mean, I do think he, he, he works hard, doesn't he? He seems to yeah, want to yeah. work hard. And actually, we, myself and Kerry talked about it uh, prior to this, about be a little bit more selfish sometimes. Don't try and give the ball to Lukaku all the time. Actually be a bit more selfish. Um, you know, I like the fact that he's prepared to, to play the, you know, the, the, um, the water carrier for Lukaku a little bit. You know, but do we and, want more and, than that? Yeah, we do. But I'm saying I like I like his diligence and his work ethic. But I think it's up to the manager to sit down and define what Werner's role is. Because I think Werner is a soldier. I think Werner will do what he's told yeah, and, yeah. and he will fit into it. But I think Thomas has got to work with him and say, this is exactly what I want you to do and how I want you guys to operate. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. Good Johnson Hasselbank didn't happen overnight. You know, it grew into itself. You know, all the good partnerships, particularly up front that we've seen in the past, haven't been immediate. You know, they've all they've all taken a little bit of time to gel and and I think this one may it may not be the partnership but I can certainly see it having potential I agree with that I think Werner has to find some selfishness from somewhere but that's also born out of a lack of confidence I think whereas you know instead of hitting it first time he's trying to play the perfect pass for Lukaku his big brother in the middle you know it's it's very interesting watching the dynamic um I think they've got to let it go for a few games if that's what we're trying to do. Although, having said that, we'll probably change it to three up top again next game and (laughs) you can't second guess what's going to happen. I mean, the one Um, thing that Ferner gives you, you know, is raw pace. Um, and, you know, the ability to get beyond. I mean, he does... But we need somebody to pass the ball over the top and pick up these runs, and nobody's doing it. Well, the question that, you know, sort of the big elephant in the room then is Havertz. You know, what's Havertz's role? What what is he? What does he do? You know, is he the potential partner for Lukaku? Um, Because, you know, he's he's probably got more of a brain than Werner, 
and, and probably more of a finish. He would have been wiped out in that game against Brentford the other, the other day, I think. I just don't think those games suit him yet. I think he's still needing to learn a lot about the game over here. And I, I, I would worry, having had Havertz in that game from the start, I think he might have got lost. Well, he actually came on for Romelu, didn't he? Mm. In the last yeah. 15 minutes. And we were looking for that, but we were looking for that respite. And there wasn't there were a couple of times where it didn't quite stick with him and where he tried something risky and lost possession. And, you know, we, we were under the hammer again. But Did you think that was an unusual substitution, given what we were saying about height and about the long throws and about, you know, the, the bombardment that we were facing in the box? Did you think that was an odd? Yeah, well, Kai's not short, is he? Kai's, again... It's, no, no, no. You know, but, you know, but, you know, Romelu's an absolute, you know, an absolute, yeah. you know, sort of elite header of the ball, isn't he? And I think that, you know, it, a bit like Giroud, it's like, you know, do you, do you take a player with that much aerial firepower off in a situation where you're coming under bomber command, bombardment? Bombardment, well, know. we don't know. Maybe there was t- tired, you know, tiredness or something. He like had a muscle issue, didn't he? Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. There was that reported muscle issue with Rom. So maybe that was uh, some thinking in there because he's got a heavy schedule, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, look, last last uh, point about the Brentford game really is Lukaku. Are we concerned how much we are not getting the ball to him properly? Because we seem to be really not utilising him. There were a lot of runs he made. And I know Andy and I talked about this beforehand. He said, well, a lot were obvious. And I said, yeah, but there were also a lot where he ran into open field and yeah. nobody was picking it. We just Loads kept going times. sideways and back. Loads we of don't times. cross the ball. Yeah. We don't cross or the too ball slowly. striker. It's like, this yeah. is, they're not spotting the run. They're, they're not on his wavelength. They're not anticipating the run that he's going to make before he makes it. He has to make it and then basically stand there waving and then they pass the ball to him and it's too late. I think that, I think that's absolutely right. I do think that Lukaku's runs are sometimes a little bit predictable. There is a little bit of a point and then a run in a straight line. You know, I just think sometimes he can mix it up a little bit. But I, I do agree with you. I think that, you know, the, the onus is on the support players to find him with mm-hmm. decent quality balls. Yeah. And maybe if he makes the obvious run and sees that doesn't work because somebody tries to Someone play else it, can make the unobvious might... one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're pulling players out of shape and, and things. And it is just something we've done over the years. In, really, in the last 20 odd years, we've only had two truly successful strikers, and that's Didier and Diego, really. You know, and before that, it was Jimmy. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, but really. not a partnership. That's the thing. Not two up. No, it never a partnership. We, so it's we tried quite it really curious. rarely over the last. Well, you could argue 10, you, that Lampard and Drogba was a was a was a partnership. But but they were Well, yeah, but it's it's a different. I know you're looking at someone coming from the assists. No, no, I'm you, talking yeah. about a str- actually two up top. You know. Yeah, but you know, but I think if you look at the goals and you look at the assists, I mean, Lampard. Oh no, no, because no, Frank was no, a, that, Frank was a bloody goal hanger. Was that's an argument not to have. Two strikers. That's an argument to have yeah, two yeah. people. I oh, know. I don't disagree with that. that but it, but it, create goals but it for each other. Yeah, yeah. No. No. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about specifically having two strikers up top. I mean, you know, if you think maybe an Elka Drogba uh, during the in 2010, although Golden Elka played more Elka. wide, yeah. uh, but you know, that's the um, that's what I'm talking about. Two strikers, and I'm not sure. I th- I think maybe. Well, we you know we are short of of wide attacking players, or we have been through injury. Um, so maybe that's one of the issues that we've. What's the What's the latest on Pulisic? Pulisic no. This not... this weekend supposedly he's fit. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. All right. Look, we should we should move on um, and quickly wrap up this show because we should look forward to the Malmo game on Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, Champions League. We've got three points from Brentford. A few players have had some rest. Will he play a decent side against Malmo? My my feeling is that he will. Definitely. And will this be a tricky game, Rick? Well, you know, it's the it's the fiftieth anniversary of when we played another Swedish side at Wiederberg. Now that strikes. Oh, I was going to say horror. that strikes a <laughs> horror into the hearts of veteran Chelsea fans because, of course, we drew nil nil fifty years ago. And then won one at Stamford Bridge, and we went out on the now defunct away goals rule. Um, and what was the game before that? Jeunesse Hocherage, yeah. when we won 21 you know on, on aggregate. Yeah. That game, I still haven't forgiven my father, God rest Matt, his soul. Matt, how many times have you told this story on this podcast, Kerry? <laughs> 
Because it still hurts. You told this story a hundred times on this podcast. <laughs> I know, but to miss 13 goals because your homework was crap. Oh, so unfair. It really is. Anyway, yes, that Peter. <laughs> right, back to you, Rick, Dad. <laughs> um, well, they've had a, a bad run, Malmo. Uh, up until, but they they the two week international break was good for them. They got some players back, which is annoying, and uh, they played some minnows in the cup and won handsomely. And then they won three 0 away at the weekend. So that actually, if previously they were in a really bad moment, as as uh, Carla used to say. Now they're in a good moment. We need to be bang on because this. If we beat them um, home and away, then we really only you know you need one more win from the remaining two games and we're and yeah. we're through the group yeah and it's a sellout i think as well isn't it stanford bridge which is yeah i was right. there today and it's, it's still hosp- i think you can buy hospitality uh places but normal but, people uh, is a sellout isn't it yes yeah yeah which is great for a you know group a group stage i think is is, is great should be rocking in fact the last game uh at the bridge uh was fantastic the atmosphere was fantastic so let's you know malmo is in the bridge so it's the bridge at the bridge Wee. Do you know what? I've only yes. been to Malmo once. I went so long ago, uh, the bridge wasn't there. I had to go from Copenhagen to Malmo on a hydrofoil wow. uh, plane. <laughs> and I went with a band called Teenage Fan Club. Oh, I Scottish remember them, yeah. And they, as some strange record company uh, stunt, had to have a go-kart race against a Swedish band called Kent, who were like a boy zone of Sweden. It was honestly, it was the most <laughs> bizarre thing. It was a long time ago. And it was really expensive. That's what I remember of Malmo. Oh, I love Malmo. In fact, that was a lot thing i did uh, uh, working on a potential project in malmo and we got the go-ahead and i was over there just before covid and then of course it all fell apart i spent quite a bit of time before that in malmo loved it fantastic place so yeah it's uh, it's going to be interesting all right well look let's wrap up and let's get our predictions and of course after this we'll take a break and we'll be seeing everybody on friday to discuss the preview of the weekend's game. So what's your what's your uh, thoughts for this game, Rick? Prediction, please. I think Romelu is going to score and it's going to be 2-0 Chelsea. Lovely. Andy? No, I agree. I think he's, you know, he, he's, he's, he's storing up a spanking for someone. Uh, I'm going to go 3-0. OK, well, look, I'm back. So I'm going to go 6-1 Chelsea. <laughs> 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 and that's it. There we go. Yes, I'm but back. You, but your homework's bad, so you can't go. Sorry, just remember, Rick Glanville is my dad. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, lovely to chat to you all. Lovely to be back on a Chels. Lovely to know that we're talking to some people out there who seem to enjoy everything that we talk about. And for those who left early, well, you missed an awful lot. <laughs> um, but yes, right. Well, we will be back with the preview show. Uh, on Friday, I believe, isn't it, Andy? Uh, yeah, it'll go out Friday morning. Excellent. Right. Well, we will see you all then. Come on, you blues. On you blues. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs> 